Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by two guests representing Pixel Vault, VGF and David, aka Economist. VGF is Director of Marketing, or perhaps more accurately, Director of Vibes with Pixel Vault, and David is Director of Communications. Founded in 2021, Pixel Vault aims to elevate crypto-native assets across television, movies, NFTs, video games, and sports. VGF and David, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Appreciate y'all. That's a killer intro. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you. And I want to jump in before we get into all things Pixel Vault and really explore that ecosystem. I want to learn a little bit more about each of you and your backgrounds. David, we'll start with you for this one. So my understanding is you have a couple decades of experience in the banking industry, which is always such an interesting juxtaposition when you talk about cryptocurrency. So I'm curious, what led you to discovering crypto? And also, how on earth did you land the Twitter handle Economist? <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with uh, start with crypto. So, you know, being in the finance industry, you, you are always curious about new technologies that are kind of up and coming and, and how they might impact your industry. So I first discovered crypto, I guess it must have been in 2015 or, or 2016, and you know, never really got into it and had a few cycles where kind of dabbled a little bit until... Um, Really, I discovered NBA Top Shot in early 2021, and uh, like a lot of people, that ended up being like the the real easy entry point for me, and you know, really got me focused on crypto and and NFTs. And I really enjoyed the space. I uh, started writing you know freelance articles on the side, and come the end of 2021, uh, I had an opportunity to join uh, Pixable full time and. You know, I figured this is potentially a once in a lifetime opportunity, and um, you know, I I jumped right on top of it. And uh, like I've always been, you know, very interested in technology, and you know, that's really how I ended up landing, you know, this particular Twitter handle. You know, I would I had friends who were really big into social media. Uh, I guess it was like in the the late aughts, and they told me about this new site that was coming out that was supposed to replace AOL Instant Messenger called Twitter. And so I started, you know, chatting with them on it. And I, you know, grabbed a couple of handles just to have and figure out which one I would want. And this was one of them that I grabbed at the at the time. So I was just very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. So cool. And just a quick follow-up question. So you discover Top Shot and get a little bit deeper. Was there ever that conflict, that internal conflict being so embedded in the banking side of things of like that crypto is evil or bad or anything like that? Or did that not happen for you? No, that that never really happened for me. I um, I've always been one to form my own opinions on things, and you know I would say that 
you know, early on when I was first, you know, playing around with crypto, it was probably a little bit too early for me. This was probably around the time that uh, you had the Mt. Gox implosion. And, you know, I said to myself, well, this is a little bit too risky. There's, um, you know, too many potential pitfalls and hurdles and I'll wait for the technology to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more there for folks like me who might not have the deep technical knowledge. And sure enough, uh, over time, that ended up coming to uh, fruition. Nice. And VGF, my understanding is you spent a lot of time in Discord and in various Discords and sort of built a reputation as someone who, uh, you know, understood the sort of administrative and uh, and community sort of building aspect of different Discords. And that maybe helped lead your way into crypto. But can you sort of break down your entry? You know, where were you before knowing about crypto? How did you actually find it? And what led to today for you? Yeah, so I I had kind of like passively observed crypto, like intrigued, but not enough to like jump into it uh, for a number of years, primarily because like I was a broke college kid. <laughs> like I didn't have the capital to really uh, invest. And come like 20, you know, 2018, 2019, it like hit my radar again. And I was like, dang, like if I was if I was just in a place like financially where I would be able to jump into something like this, it would be really interesting. And then uh, come like January of last year, um, I, I, you know, ha- had gotten to a time and a place where I had a little bit of uh, of capital to kind of play with, experiment with. I got into retail trading over over COVID a little bit. And uh, I I yoloed uh, like I think it was like a thousand dollars into Doge at like a penny, <laughs> and uh, that that was ultimately like my first actual crypto purchase was Dogecoin of all things. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, that ended up like I ended up levering that into my first Ethereum purchase, my first NFTs, and and that kind of set me on my way. Once I had the the kind of light bulb go off that switch click of uh, like, this is a way to sovereignly own digital assets. My, like my experience, like VGF stands for video game freak. And uh, I was, I was huge into gaming. And once I saw that, that path forward, I was all in. I, I literally took about a month to get my affairs in order. Uh, did not return to the the gig that I had prior and was basically working full time in web three playing catch up slash get ahead uh until I was compensated to work full time <laughs> in web three um but yeah so like my my quickest value add when I was getting into the space was i I had been on discord since like twenty sixteen I had managed you know esports organizations and built communities before. And very early on last year, there wasn't a whole lot of people that really knew how to build out a Discord safely, securely. How do you build out a moderation team? How do you do this? You know, like education of your community, not to click links, turn your DMs off, like all the before all of that was popularized, like how how do you build this out and and be responsible as a, a project? And uh Kind of word of mouth. I, I built a little bit of a reputation for myself, and before I knew it, I was admitting, you know, like in the teens or like twenty discords or so, 
And uh, then it was kind of uh, uh, how I got involved with Pixel Vault was I uh, I was honestly just a fan. Like I saw the idea of Punk's comic number one before it had, it had minted. And I reached out. I was like, hey, you know, I love what you guys are doing. This is what I do. Like, yeah, how can I help? And uh, so I was I was the one that helped build out Pixel Vault's Discord initially, kind of started dabbling on like, you know, come to market strategy and operations and, you know, things like that here and there. And before I knew it, the next couple of months blinked by and uh, I was getting an offer to join the team full time. So it was uh, definitely an adventure, but uh, it, Discord was kind of like my my foot in the door to to all of it. I love it. It's something we've talked about with a number of guests and it's always at the top of my mind because part of what we're doing here on Show Me the Crypto beyond educating and informing and entertaining, I like to think too we're, we're you know, advocates for the industry as a whole and, and that includes working in the industry, especially because I think there's a lot of people who think if they're not a developer that they can't, there's nothing for them in crypto and Web3 that what am I going to contribute? What can I do? Right. And so um, it's interesting when we get chances to talk to people who work in the space who, you know, aren't devs. Right. And mm -hmm. so my, you know, what I wanted to bring up here is your path to, to having an actual paid gig, you know, but how that started out with um, essentially just volunteering. And it's an interesting point because I actually think in the world of crypto and, and Web3, there is, I, I don't know if it's a unwritten sort of expectation or what it is, but there's certainly in the world of Discord, uh, th there's this you know, with DAOs and with the way that everything is so community driven, a lot of people come into the space and just start offering up their time and to just get involved and just taking on responsibilities. And I don't know if that's good or bad at the individual level, right? Because it's people just giving away their time, but arguably it's their passion and they want to do it. So my question, you know, going back to you is at the time, did you know that you were giving up your time in hopes that it would lead to, you know, a paid position at some point? Or is that just a natural evolution and just something that sort of happened? So I, I look at it like it was a a bet on myself, a, a leveraged bet. I would highly discourage people from doing what <laughs> I did and just leaving the paying gig behind and just like yellowing into it. Um I, I was at a time and a place in my life where like I had I had, you know, no significant other at the time, no kids, owned my own home, you know, like my my overhead was was limited and like I I took that as a gamble. Um, but I also had, you know, like the the position of like this is a time and a place in in crypto, in NFTs. And if I'm going to make this leap, like it's now or never, basically, like I, I, I seized that opportunity, like knowing that I, I wasn't a coder, I wasn't a developer, I, you know, wasn't particularly an, an artist in the traditional sense. And uh, so I, I didn't, I, I knew I wouldn't have this sort of conventional road into being, you know, an NFT artist or a, 
Solidity Dev or anything like that. And so I added, I I jumped in and added value where I where I knew how. And for me, that was education and in, in building out discords. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, what what is your passion? What are you good at? Like to to your your point there, it's kind of like uh the this kind of contribution based uh economy where you may not be initially rewarded for it um but building that reputation of like what value are you able to to give provide like uh, i'm we're now looking at you know like accountants and like hr and uh you know there's there's a broadening of of roles that were in need of to fill in web three beyond just the the kind of three four person teams that that were so popularized last year and uh to me that's like really interesting it's like there's there's a little bit of a piece for for everybody in web three uh even if you know the the space may have not caught up to it yet i i do believe that just like any other industry uh there'll be a, a a place and a role for just about anyone that's currently looking for it. Um, because just about everyone will eventually be here. And that, uh, you know, it's, it's not like uh, it all needs to be uh, bootstrapped or that you need to give away your time for free and, and all of it. It, it does. It definitely doesn't need to be charity. Uh, but building that reputation for yourself and and adding value before you ask for it back uh i'm i'm extremely passionate about before we dive deep into all things pixel vault i want to get both of your thoughts david maybe we'll start with you for this one on 2021 and nfts because in my opinion and i think in a lot of people's opinions like that was the story of the bull run is just how big of a moment NFTs had. So David, kind of going back to that moment of NBA top shot, getting involved, making some purchases, getting some packs there. Did you ever imagine or foresee the year that NFTs would have? No, uh, mostly because I was really new into the the NFT world when I when I started with Top Shot. And I really felt like I lived in a bubble uh, with NBA Top Shot. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of saw that initial really big rise and pretty quick fall of Top Shot kind of in the, like through April of 2021. And it was actually watching the Top Shot cycle that, you know, got me curious about, you know, what other NFTs were out there. And, you know, I love to tell the story that, uh, you know, I scrapped together about, I don't know, like $200 worth of ETH and, um, I bought a Zedron horse from you know one of my friends who happens to live you know in the same town as me, and then you know that horse had a couple of good runs, and then I I sold it for an ETH, and that really is what kind of you know got me started in like really digging deeper into you know Ethereum NFTs, and you know and at that time, and it's really hard to like imagine this, especially if you're coming in the latter half of 2021 or in 2022. There really weren't a lot of big NFT projects at that time. You know, there were CryptoPunks, there were uh, CryptoKitties that had been around, but like they weren't really so popular anymore. And just some new projects that were coming, um, Appymon, which will probably bring some memories back for some people. And 
And then, um, you know, the Board of Yacht Club popped up and, you know, I found out about that because a whole bunch of folks that, you know, I was in a Discord with from, from Top Shot, they were saying, hey, there's this new project that, you know, it might be worth minting it. So, you know, I grabbed a few and, and I thought, all right, well, like I, I minted like token, like, you know, 1332 and 1333. And these are kind of cool. Maybe I'll mint some more tomorrow because at that time, you know, you were dealing with a lot of uh, those uh, those FOMO ramps that uh, projects had where the prices would escalate exponentially over time. And, and this was the first project that didn't have one. So the, we weren't used to projects minting out right away. It was like, all right, well, this project will be around for a week or two. And then I woke up the next morning and they were all sold out. And like that was a really you know <laughs> pivotal moment when I'm thinking, oh, wow, these things can sell out really quickly. And then uh, it just kind of all all escalated up from there and then it went from like a handful of projects to just like a handful of projects meeting every day and it really was just just quite a run to just be a part of and um that whole experience is just something that'll be very hard to recapture anytime soon vgf before i go to you on this one because i, I want to ask you the same question of your thoughts on it on the 2021 nft run but uh david did you did you hang on to those apes or what was the story? Did you flip them? Well, I didn't hang on to those two particular apes, but you know, I still have a you know have a couple. Um, you know, a friend and I, you know, we were you know buying and selling them and sold a whole bunch of them way too early. But you know, at the time, we're like, oh wow, this is great. Um, you know, we you made a little pocket change off the you know on the side, and uh, you know, sure enough, I guess it must have been in. November or December, that's when like things really started to started to pick up. And, you know, I had like a lot of a couple assets in October. So probably not the best timing, but uh, it was, um, it, it's still a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I definitely picked up a pretty sizable portfolio over the last year. It's hard to beat a story. Was it Alex from Nansen? Uh, it was the craziest so, thing I've yeah, heard. Yeah. He minted, I want to say 20 board apes. <laughs> And he sold them all under one ETH. <laughs> like he didn't keep <laughs> one of them. And it's just, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. VGF, how about you? Thoughts on the overall uh, 2021 NFT world? Um, to me, it kind of like captured a, like a time and a place of like where the NFT space was uh, like in its, in its development, its maturity. Because like NFTs have been around. It, it wasn't, you know, a particularly new like a concept, but the audience it was exposed to exploded. You know, for for a lot of artists that like that Beeple sale, uh, and and reading about it on the news and seeing these articles like that onboarded an entire generation of artists into NFTs. And uh, you know, like in my mind, some of the standouts, you know, like Gary V, uh, you know, the the art blocks kind of run um, some of these like standout pivotal moments that uh, onboarded and and kind of like ignited entire markets within NFTs, like kind of sub-markets within NFTs. And obviously, uh, Yuga and BAYC, uh, kind of the, the social, social club membership. Um, and, and for me, that was kind of like the... When I saw like the apes jumping into clubhouse rooms and and doing the whole shtick and like uh that like clued me into like that this can be like 
a capture of culture. And uh, I, I, I don't know that we'll, we'll see exactly that kind of run again, uh, or at least that it may not feel the same. Um, but I, I have no doubt, like there will be projects that run in similar ways. Uh, I just don't know that it'll be, you know, a couple dudes that have a good idea and uh, based on speculation alone, you know, that it takes off. I think that the NFT space has matured to a point where people are doing a little more due diligence, are are getting a little more involved to have a little bit better idea of what it is that they're buying and uh, that they they have higher expectations uh, of of you know, the level of accountability that they hold these projects to. So um, to me, I'll, I'll always look back fondly on on last year, uh, whether it be kind of like the, the friends that I've met, the, you know, uh, the opportunities I've received. For me, like, I didn't have the bankroll uh, to, to get into a lot of these opportunities. You know, like one of my kind of, uh, you know, s- s- sob stories maybe... Um, I was Justin Aversano's Discord admin when Twin Flames were like an ETH. And like he he pitched me over and over and over again. <laughs> it wasn't out of my lack of faith of the dude. Like obviously I believed in him. I just pure and simple like did not... Like short of selling my car or mortgaging my home, like I did not have the money because I went all in on Web3. And that was like... That was my money to to like ensure that I had a place like a, a house over my head. Right. And so uh, I say that somewhat fondly because like it, it, it's kind of like when I boil it all back, it's like I just didn't have the money. Uh, but some of those opportunities certainly would have been nice to take advantage of if <laughs> I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, like even then, even then, like I, I, I've still done spectacularly well with the... Like I started out with like an ETH and uh, basically everything from there has has kind of snowballed. So even then, even missing some of the biggest opportunities that I've ever been presented with, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's still outperformed so disproportionately. Any just about anywhere else I could have put my money, um, that I'm I'm super grateful. Ulf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? No, they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we? That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And back to the episode. Well, let's time, uh, let's let's shift gears here and get into all things Pixel Vault. Uh, definitely looking forward to learning about it as we dive in. But what I want to do is approach it, make sure that you guys are approaching it as we ask these questions, as if you know we know nothing about it, and also like our audience knows nothing about it. And I say that specifically with Pixel Vault because Wade and I've 
talked with lots of different guests, but Pixel Vault in particular has a lot going on. There's a lot here. There's a lot to cover and it can get confusing, I think. So the, the, the more you guys can break it down as if we know absolutely nothing, the better for everyone. And that's awesome. Awesome. So that said, you know, can you just tell us a, where did Pixel Vault begin? What was the original idea? And then breaking it down step by step, you know, where did it start and where's Pixel Vault today? And I know that this is a big question and it might take a little while. So take your time. And uh, yeah, if you can touch on at least the high level points to kind of get the concept and the projects across, that would be awesome. Sure. So I, I guess I'll jump in there because uh, I'd, I'd been with uh, the, the team uh, since earlier on. But uh, it initially started with kind of this concept of, you know, people were starting to rock their PFPs on Twitter. Um, that CryptoPunks in particular, like started, like you look at G Money and, and like 6529 and like some of these massive personas now. Uh, but back then, it was kind of like a fairly new concept that these otherwise anonymous individuals were building these kind of like personas and characters for their for their crypto punks and uh our our ceo and founder sean Gearin, uh g-funk had this idea to kind of expand on that a little bit and and kind of caricaturize uh this pool of of crypto punks and uh brought on chris wall uh dc marvel comic book artist to to kind of bring them to life and develop these characters these backstories and kind of uh have this kind of loosey goosey fun uh web3 native comic book and that was kind of the seed of the idea for punks comic number one and uh the, there was a lot of you know game theory and you know kind of the the tokenomics involved you know the the 16 crypto punks that the characters were uh initially based on were put into a, a fractional dot art which is uh a fractional dot art pool uh, that was then fractionalized, and you could stake your comics for these tokens, uh, representing fractionalized ownership of the these assets, or you could burn it for the founders DAO token, which was you know fuck render art now established as uh, an official uh, legal wrapped entity and and all of that. So it's kind of like this push pull dynamic that like there's not a right or a wrong answer here, but like how is the community going to to weigh this decision and that'll ultimately reflect what what happens with the tokens. And at that time in the in the NFT space like that was a pretty novel concept. And uh I I think to the credit of like Punk's comic number 1, uh I think someone like 70 or 80% of our hires now uh, or that are you know employees of the company now originally started as collectors, hmm. and so for for an idea like that to to gravitate and attract the talent that we now have as part of the team, I think is a testament to how powerful it was at the time. Um, so like kind of skipping forward a little bit uh, with punks as kind of like that Web three native. Uh, more kind of fun, off-the-wall uh, comic book. The idea was kind of seeded to, to bring in Odious uh, to help incubate the MetaHero concept, 
which is more of a traditional like superhero world building storytelling lore uh, with some of its own unique twists on on the minting experience generative at the time of mint using Chainlink VRF and and some of these kind of fun concepts at the time. And uh, that that's really kind of where it, it was off to the races, you know, like the aspirations to develop this this gaming ecosystem governed owned and governed by a, a DAO. And, uh, you know, it, it became much more than just a project. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of that was it, Pixel Vault is, you know, the the company behind these things. But the the either the complication or the, you know, the benefit, depending on how you look at it, is you don't have to jump in and participate in all of it. If you don't want to, you can pick and choose, kind of pick your flavor uh, of what resonates with you. And in, in my eyes, that's opportunity. You don't have to go and collect everything uh, uh, that's part of the grander Pixvault ecosystem in order to be involved with pieces of it. I say, I think at that point, soon thereafter, uh, was was David's entrance to the team. So maybe he has something to add or take over there. Yeah, I, you know, just kind of, you know, building on to BGF's point, you know, we're, we're an ecosystem of options. And, you know, we, we get this question a lot about, well, where does, where should somebody start and you know that's such a hard question to answer because it all really comes down to you know what is your personal preference and you know I, I usually break it down you know you know fairly simply is you know if you're a really big fan of you know comic books especially like Web three and a lot of like those inside Web three jokes then you know Punk's comic and you know you know buying at least one comic and just taking a look through it just to see if you you know really enjoy the story world, that's really a good place to start. Or if you do like the superhero world, there are so many different entry points like, you know, in that particular ecosystem. You know, you could start by, you know, purchasing either a, a generative identity or a mid-pass one, which allows you to uh, create your own generative identity that's, you know, randomly generated. Or, you know, even you know, down to, you know, purchasing some planets and being part of the, the governance process that is, you know, really starting to come into its own with the up-down. There's just, you know, so many ways that that you can start. Or if you just enjoy like a like a really good chat of people who have been in the space for a while, uh, a founder's out token is great. You know, there's a, you know, they have their own treasury of assets, a lot of which, you know, includes, you know, um, Parts of the the pixel ecosystem, some really cool one of one art, um, and uh, you know some other NFTs that were generated that were uh, donated by uh, by community members over time. So there's really a lot of places that you can start to to jump into the ecosystem. And you know, as we continue to evolve, there will be a lot more clarity and you know a lot more cementing of like kind of like how these ecosystems are going to have their tokens interact with one another. And, you know, we're really excited to start sharing more and more of those details over the rest of the year. David, as director of communications, I mean, obviously you and VGF doing a great job on 
a lot of podcasts recently and explaining this story and that type of thing. But is that part of the trajectory is to kind of simplify the message? Because that's kind of been a common theme of there is so much going on, which is incredibly admirable, but almost for some people, they might feel intimidated or almost too much going on. And so is that part of the push or is the attitude, no, we're going to keep building this big thing and people will find their fit in wherever kind of suits them. They don't have to be part of all of it as a company. Is that, is that part of the push? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say yes and no. So, you know, we are, you know, at heart storytellers in a media company. Um, You know, it's not as if we started with a, you know, a 10,000 generative, you know, profile picture project, you know, we started with comic books. So, you know, from day one, we're storytellers and we're going to continue to, you know, expand on our stories, uh, you know, both in the um, in the punks comic world and in the MetaHero universe and some other things that might be coming down the road that uh, we just can't quite share share just yet. So, you know, all the storytelling will ultimately bring people back to the other parts of our of our ecosystem, and we really do want to simplify it and. You know, we've been working a lot this year on, you know, what we're calling the table stakes and, and that being infrastructure. So, you know, for one, it's technical infrastructure. It's the uh, creation of our own marketplace that does a really good job of simplifying how people interact with all of our collections. It was a creation of Prism, which is the all-in-one uh, discussion and voting platform for the UpDAO, which is a, a DAO with 10 sub-DAOs and is a very complicated structure that required its own technical solution so that you know, anybody who is new to the ecosystem can, can jump right in and say, oh, this is pretty simple to navigate instead of having you know, probably about 20 different websites to, to vote on, on everything else. You know, participation is difficult as it is. So you know, we didn't want the technical solution to add an additional layer of, of complexity there. And, uh, you know, and the last bit of infrastructure, which doesn't really get seen, it's the creative infrastructure, which goes on behind the scenes and, you know, isn't, you know, isn't publicly visible. But when we say that we're storytellers, that starts with understanding what the framework is of the stories that we're going to tell actually is. And, you know, I've been saying this recently, you know, we're not here to tell stories for three months. We're here to tell stories for years and years. So that starts with making sure that your creative framework is is strong as well. So let's dive into some of these things, uh, these 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 pieces of Pixel Vault on a, at a more individual level, and uh, and and maybe we can you know help whoever is listening who wants to choose you know pick their poison. Maybe we can help them uh, figure out where they want to start. So st- taking it back to the comics, uh, to to the punks comics. Let's start there. You know, you you say that your Pixel Vault is a media company first. You guys are storytellers. Tell us about the Punks comics as far as where that started with issue one and where it's going with issue two and onwards. Sure. So uh, Punks comic number one was, was, you know, the original, the genesis, um, and kind of built out this this background, these stories that uh, had had kind of like caricaturized uh larger than life personalities to them and uh from there punk's comic number two was our sort of branching out uh it was done in partnership with baYC 
uh, G Money and uh, Adidas. Um, so that was like kind of a, a pretty pivotal moment in time, bringing kind of this massive uh, Web two company into the equation as well. And at the time, like it was, it was kind of unique in that it was uh, the first time that something like BAYC had uh, individuals with their uh, their licenses, their uh, commercial use licenses, able to be leveraged to be featured in a comic book. And so we held a, a contest that uh, ultimately kind of like March Madness style <laughs> uh, led to the to the selected winners, which ultimately were then featured in that comic. Uh, and uh, with with their commercial licenses were beneficiaries of that mint. Um, so it, it was definitely uh, kind of a, a really unique uh, dynamic of like involving you know, massive Web2 organizations, uh, Web3 personalities, uh, and then bringing in with the special editions, these these uh, community members as well. And then uh, I would say there's kind of the branch there that we then uh, spun out the origin stories, uh, which was intended to kind of be like, okay, yes, we are storytellers, uh, but not all of these are are going to be such big, grand, you know, uh, long stories. Like, how do we provide, you know, a little bit of a more regular cadence, uh, build some of the backstory for a lot of these characters, and origin stories is the avenue to do that. Uh, so they're a little more like you think digital comics, right? Like they're they're a little more uh, brief. They're they're quick reads, uh, and and it kind of helps give context to the broader the broader story. Um, and then we had Punk's comic number three, which was the Metahero crossover. And that was like a really interesting inflection point because it was, you know, really the point that like these these core characters, these these metaheroes, uh, were brought to life for the first time. And I think that's that's kind of now taking a life of its own, which is pretty cool to see like, you know, how the original punks characters, the initial meta heroes, and then to have them, you know, embodied in, in this story. Uh, it's, it's definitely kind of becoming the, the grander vision that we initially saw for it. You mentioned earlier, I think both of you DAOs. And so there's the founders DAO and then the, the up DAO, is that the planetary DAO? If I'm correct. So, so what are the purposes of, of those DAOs? Like, what is it that um, they kind of have governance over? So uh, they are definitely have two very distinctly different purposes, uh, for sure. So I'll start with the founders DAO. Um, you know, early on in the in the Pixel ecosystem, and like really right from the very beginning, you know, for those who either minted a Punk's Comic One or purchased one off the secondary, um, had the opportunity to make a decision. You could keep your comic, uh, claim a physical version of the comic, and um, you know use that to you know potentially get you know Punk's tokens. Or you could burn your comic, and it would give you a you know a founder's DAO token, which is essentially one governance vote over what is the founder's DAO. Hmm. And and ultimately, like during that window while it was open, um, 
you know, the community the community landed on about 5,900 founders tokens with another 4,100 comics kind of remaining in existence at that point in time. And, you know, within the Founders DAO, it's, uh, it's really a treasury of, of, of mostly artwork. And, you know, it is a, a very dedicated group who, you know, you know, hang out in Discord a lot. <laughs> um, you know, we, we talk about the Pixel Ecosystem. It's my second home. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine too. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about the Pixel Ecosystem. We talk about other projects that are going on. Uh, we get into some really fun debates as to whether or not you need to have butter or mayonnaise for your grilled cheese sandwiches. Like we just get into some really, you know, you know, fun discussions there. Yeah. Sometimes we jump in on voice chat and and just like goop around. Um, so it's become kind of like a uh, like a smaller niche like sub community within the community. Um, so it's just a it's just a fun spot to uh, you know to hang out in. Uh, whereas the the updow has a has a very different purpose. When Pixel Vault launched its uh, planetary token sale, uh, gosh, I don't remember the date. I would say it was probably summer of 2021, maybe uh, July or August. And you know, you can correct me if I was if I'm a little bit off off base there. There was a um, you know a decision that was made that when the when the when the planet tokens were sold, 55% of the proceeds went into uh, you know, what was called the updow. And the whole purpose of that was to provide a, uh, you know, community-governed treasury that would allow the community to, you know, help make video games with, uh, you know, with the company. And, you know, as time has evolved, and you know, we've had the opportunity to, you know, set that DAO up, and you know, just, you know, a lot of uh, making sure that we were doing it right. So, you know, it took some time to get that set up. And you know everything launched in August of this of this year, and uh, and yes, yeah, so there is about uh, just under eight thousand ETH currently sitting in the treasury that the you know community can use to you know to build alongside Pixel you know within its gaming ecosystem. Uh, we had our our first um, uh, what will be a roughly monthly cadence of, of calls with our uh, VP of uh, Blockchain gaming and tokenomics to talk about what the first game is going to look like, and and really what Pixelbolt is like starting to um, help incubate in that area, and uh, we're really excited for for what's to come. The first game is what we're calling an an auto brawler, which is going to be a um, a uh, three versus three um, auto battle game that is going to be set in what we're calling a uh, like a PV classic style, which is a uh, the the Chris Wall style um, meta heroes, and you know, you know, folks who who have their meta heroes can you know basically have fun playing like auto battle games, um, you know, against their uh, their fellow community members, and like it's going to be a lot of a lot of fun once it once it launches. One thing I'm interested about, and this is based on some of the the Discord communities that I'm in, and I'm wondering for you guys, so there's such, as you mentioned, with the Founders DAO, there's lively discussion, people living in there constantly communicating about different things. Do you find, like, what is the, the positivity versus negativity level? And the reason I ask that is some of the other NFT community discords that I'm in, they're 
is a lot of negativity, it seems like, and it depends what the project is, but just in terms of like, are they doing enough? Uh, you know, like what's pushing forward, maybe happiness with certain decisions and that type of thing. Do you find that like kind of as transparently as possible in the Pixel Vault Discord, or for the most part, is it a pretty like collaborative, supportive community? Uh, I'd say, I mean, th there's definitely room for for constructive criticism. Uh, you know, we're both economists and I, like, again, we practically live there. Um, so we're, we're always happy to get in there and, and engage with community, even if they aren't, uh, you know, the biggest fans of, of decisions that have been made or, uh, you know, with the market, the way that it is, uh, you know, some, some assets, uh, have, have depreciated in value perhaps from where they bought it. Um, by far and large, especially those that have kind of come along for the ride, uh, from earlier on. Holders are are generally pretty happy, uh, again, with room for constructive criticism. And we did take uh, earlier in this year a, a time of kind of like having a hard reset on our communication style. Uh, for For quite a while there, you know, we were out every single week with, you know, weekly town halls with our CEO out, you know, uh, out in front, G-Funk going in and, you know, directly addressing community questions and concerns. And very, very quickly, uh, at least for where we kind of were uh, as, as a company, it, it wasn't particularly sustainable. Uh, you know, so G-Funk took a step back, focused on kind of steering the ship. Uh, and, and we had a reset of, of our community's uh, communication style and, and kind of expectations. And now we've kind of uh, committed to basically only only teasing things when they're almost imminently ready. You know, we we're, we're trying to kind of avoid as best we can the the anticipation and hype, you know, bubble uh, that it you know almost inevitably has to pop, and focus on building true sustainable value. And that might not be everyone's cup of tea you know some people just want number to go up and certainly we we aim to provide value back to token holders uh whether it be uh, you know airdrops claims mints uh experiences and uh that that we do target like providing value back to these token holders but uh the the express purpose isn't you know driving anticipation and hype for hype's sake we really want it to be driven based on shipping products and generating experiences that people ultimately value. Yeah. And I was gonna say, and just to, to that point, it is a, uh, it, that's a very tough strategy to implement, especially coming off of, you know, as we were mentioning earlier, like the 2021 and, and earlier 2022 bull runs. And uh, like I, 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 you know, I can certainly say it's not for the pain of heart, and the the community is is very honest and transparent with us. And you know, I do want to say that you know we have a, we have a view that you know we don't really like moderate what people are saying unless it gets you know beyond you know just you know positive or critical feedback and getting into personal attacks. So we welcome the feedback, even if it might be something that you know is tough to hear. We still welcome it because. 
you know, we always want to know what the community is thinking. And sure, sometimes they come up with great ideas that we can implement. Sometimes we come up with great ideas that, you know, we just can't do for, you know, any number of reasons. And sometimes they just come up with ideas that are going to be outside of scope of what we're, of what we're planning to build. But, you know, regardless, we want to hear all the feedback. And sometimes we come up with ideas that the community later shares and they think it was their idea. <laughs> but, um, that's, that's a little poke and tease, but um, it, it, it's kind of been fun because like in, in the last like, you know, eight, 10 months, the focus really has been on building behind the scenes and kind of teeing ourselves up for everything else that is kind of going to be unveiled in the, in the coming months and years. But especially in the next few months, it's, it's kind of like, okay, through the summer, we had, you know, this, this kind of quiet period earlier this year. Uh, you made it through the the summer with us. Uh, we, we've, you know, started teasing out some of these little breadcrumbs of, of what is to come. And now it's, it's kind of taking some of those big swings. And uh, we, you know, I think David and I in particular are especially excited to see how it's received. Yes. So while we're on this subject, I think it makes sense to to ask about your thoughts on sort of speculation in the space, particularly with NFTs, uh, you know, in, in this case, because we've talked with lots of guests on this subject matter. And, and it's super interesting, I think, uh, when we talk about NFTs more than, let's say, you know, just buying crypto tokens, like crypto assets of some other kind that have, you know, monetary value in that sense. Because with NFTs, it, you know, we talk about it if it's artwork, let's say, in the form of, well, you know, does the person actually just value the artwork and do they want to be, you know, have that artwork to hold and love and cherish because they like it? Or, or perhaps we're not talking about artwork, but maybe it's rather, you know, if it's DAO focused, is it because they truly want to be a part of the community and they want to have their voting share and they want to get involved? Um, you know, obviously there's a number of aspects when we're talking about Pixel Vault and the different projects you guys have going on there. But what are your thoughts on uh, for Pixel Vault, for one, you know, people getting involved, is it speculation based or is it a genuine interest to participate or love for the project or that sort of thing? Or and then outside of Pixel Vault, you know, on the greater scope of just in NFTs in general, do you think that? as much as we know for sure, you know, a lot of it is driven by speculation. Where do you think that's maybe going in the future? Will projects built on speculation survive? Is is the market built on speculation and that's okay? You know, what are your thoughts on that subject? So I, I would say um, like early on, I think any any project that that minted in 2021, I would say a lot of it was fueled by speculation. And that was just more so, you know, what the, how the market was, was working. And, and that probably, you know, continued on through what was a, you know, pretty quick super cycle in like the first half of 2022. And, and now with where the, where the markets is today, there is still definitely speculation, but you're starting to see, you know, you know, a lot of folks getting into the projects that they are, you know, basically calling their like their highest conviction bets, and and I'm I'm sure you're going to see a lot more consolidation of like folks going getting into those projects probably towards the end of the year, 
especially as you know people who made a you know might have had some pretty big gains in the in the early half of 2022 are going to start uh, cycling out some tax losses, uh, at least in the United States um, and you know you know in other countries around the world where where that makes sense. Um, so you're, I think you're going to start to see more and more separation of people staying in the projects that they really had the biggest convictions in, and kind of like exiting some of some of the other ones. And you know what I think that means for in the future is, um, and if some folks might not like uh, might might not like this view, is that you know dilution is coming in that for a lot of like the largest projects that are out there that want to continue growing their ecosystem and you know, get the next million users into their ecosystem over the next few years, you know, it's not going to happen with $100,000 assets. There's just not a lot of folks who are going to, who are going to willing to be spending that kind of money, you know, on those assets where I truly believe things are moving towards are going to be like, you know, smaller microtransactions where you can buy a collectible, a digital asset for, you know, $5, $10, $20. And if it goes to zero, then, you, maybe you lost like a like a week's worth of uh, coffee, um, but if it happens to do really well and you get entertainment value that exceeds that twenty dollars or whatever that you put into it, then it's going to create some genuine happiness. So it's um, like this space I really believe is at a crossroads at this point, and um, you know I personally think it's healthy. And you know from you know from a pixel boy pixel bulk standpoint. Um, you know, we're definitely focused on like building out like you know strong stories, strong IP, and and really giving folks that that entertainment value, whether it's going to be from storytelling or gaming or or some other things that we might have up our sleeve for the future. And uh, that's where I believe this space will go over the next uh, next couple of years. Just to build on that a little bit, um, I think it's really interesting that like. I, I think in many of our heads, kind of chunk NFTs down into a, a few different buckets. You know, there's the the art, there's the PFPs and utility kind of projects, and then you know access tokens. But I, I think that's just the beginning, right? I, I think that we'll only continue to see further diversification, more shades of gray, and that. Uh, the idea, the concept that you could have these digital things and not have sovereign ownership over them is silly because everything is, you know, the technology enabling uh, or enabled by NFTs will just permeate through through the world, through culture. And the idea that you could have like even a digital file that you didn't have ownership of is just kind of like ridiculous. And so I, I do think there is some level of uh, kind of consumerism that's that's being driven to at, at the end of that road that people will buy what they intend to have and to hold because they appreciate it and they enjoy it uh, or they want to have you know that experience rather than purely because they just anticipate number will go up i i almost liken it to like my casino money right like if i go to the casino and i spend the money and I have enough fun to justify that expense, like it's still worth it to me. And ultimately, like kind of with NFT, like if I still if I still spend that money, it goes to zero, and I still have a pretty picture to show for it. <laughs> like that's that's enough, quote unquote, for me as long as you know promises, expectations are fulfilled. But then, if it also so happens to appreciate in value, that's win win win, all the better, all the way around. 
And so that's where I think it comes more so down to the to the actual to the projects to the companies is building out you know in, in such a way that it does incentivize and reward your community your holders, uh, but also supports the the you know ability to scale and have those other pro, uh, points of entry more accessible uh, you know products that can can potentially onboard you know the next hundred thousand million hundreds of millions of users and I think that uh, as David kind of uh, tangentially touched on I think gaming is going to be a, a very large part of that one thing I find admirable about both of you is that you are here in a bear market so we had this bull run and number went up and then we had this decline similar to what many in the space experienced in early 2018, but you're both here, you're both building. The question is partly what gave gave you that kind of conviction, but also just for, from Pixel Vault's perspective in general, what's it like building in a bear market? Is it difficult? Uh, VGF earlier, you mentioned, you know, you're starting to think about hiring people like accountants and these different things, but oh, are you- we are, Just to clarify, we already have. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. But like, yeah. are you are you feeling the squeeze of the bear market at all? Or was there enough kind of like advanced planning that, that you have confidence you'll be fine through this bear market? VGF, I'll start with you for that. Sure. And so like, yeah, we, we are- in a, a privileged position to have had some early success last year, um, to have have you know raised the funds that we did, uh, we did go and raise outside capital before it was it was needed, uh, and so when the when the bear kind of did hit, we were in a position to where we didn't have to very dramatically draw back. Uh, we, if anything, we kind of focused in on on the product uh, projects that we. You know the IPs that we already had released, uh, kind of took took the broad view and focused it back in a little bit. But uh, it, it's it's a very kind of nice position to be in, where we we have that runway to to you know continue to build. Uh, the teams since like early this year scaled from in the the teens to well over sixty employees at this point. A wow. good chunk of them. Uh, dedicated ex- uh, expressly on on developing the the gaming ecosystem, um, but it's it's not a small team by any means. And uh, you know, David and I, uh, along with G Funk, being you know somewhat of the more outwardly facing personas, but there's a lot of really passionate, you know, really involved people, super you know excited to to build out and and develop these. These worlds, these lores, these technologies, and uh, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, that's the fun part of it, right? Like, it, if you're not, you know, like for me, like my my core initiative when I got into trying to work in Web three was just building cool stuff with awesome people, and uh, that that still rings true to me today like i'm i'm very grateful to be in the position that i get to work with the team that i do uh and that we you know like yes it has been uh rather difficult you know in in continuing to try and uh release products into a, a bear and and hopefully align it to where uh you know there's demand for it um but i think long term it's a bump in the road uh, as long as Pixel Vaults can can continue to deliver and continue to 
to ex- explore and experiment. Um, that's where I see Pixel Vault being one of those companies that that will be around for a while. So on that note, where does Pixel Vault go from here? You know, what are you working on? And I know that you already mentioned earlier you don't want to you don't want to hype everything up too give us far a bit in of advance. Bit of alpha, but uh, but you know, what can you tell us about what you're working on today and what we might see in the future? Sure. So, like, you know, I think the you know the biggest thing is going to be storytelling and gaming, which I which has been really a common theme, you know, throughout this whole this whole podcast. Um, so, you know, we announced today that, you know, our next version of Origin Stories is coming out on, on Wednesday, October 12th, which I know is going to be, um, you know, after this, you know, podcast might actually start to air and, you know, kind of talking about like building in a bear, you know, you know, that whole structure of Origin Stories has, you know, has pivoted. So we, you know, we basically released, uh, about you know, 5,900 origin stories from the first one. And instead of saying for every follow-on, you know, mint, it's going to be an additional cost for folks. The decision then became, all right, well, if you have a whole bunch of origin stories, number one, uh, you can burn that for origin stories two. And then when that, when origin stories three came out, they went, went to mint origin stories two closed and so on and so forth. And then, you know, that's how it's going to work for four. You can burn either origin stories one or origin stories two, origin stories three to kind of get your origin stories for comic. And, you know, one way to, you know, reward our collectors for participating in, you know, that part of the ecosystem is since these stories are, you know, very short, um, you know, there'll be kind of like an anthology of the, you know, first set of eight. And in order to be able to claim that anthology, um, you know, you have to have, you know, a token from, you know, uh, origin stories one through eight, which, um, you know, with the windows kind of closing as the next one comes, you know, if one doesn't happen to be like not very popular, then that becomes really the bottleneck for like for the whole set. So last I checked earlier today, uh, Origin Stories 3, which is the current one, uh, had under 400 mints. So if that doesn't uh, go up fairly quickly over the next uh, you know, roughly you know day or so, then that ends up being the bottleneck. And then this like physical set um becomes like a like a very limited physical set of like well under you know a thousand pieces mm-hmm. and you know we have uh more stories coming in our in our superhero world and you know as we touched on earlier you know we really are building out uh you know a pretty big um you know gaming uh you know, gaming world that we're that we're focused on which again is going to span over over years not months so like lots of really fun things to come which are meant to, you know, allow our existing collectors to, you know, use what's already in the ecosystem and, you know, really kind of build on that, on that entertainment value and and really have fun, you know, within our worlds. So cool. Well, you gentlemen have done a fantastic job outlining so many things. There's still so much that we could go into, but we would be here for hours. We'll have to keep an eye on the project, invite you back for a part two at some point. However, before... say give it give it some time. And yeah. I, I was going to say, once once we have uh, uh, a little bit of time to, to follow through, it'll be interesting to kind of revisit some of these conversations <laughs> once we're sure. able to talk about them. 100%. But before we let you go, there is a section that we have at the end of every interview that we call You Had Me at Crypto. And it is the same three questions we ask every single guest. So both of you 
are not off the hook yet. We're going to ask <laughs> you these three questions. Alf's going to send those your way. All right. So I'll ask the question and then you guys can uh, both, you know, we'll hear from one and then the other. All right. Okay. Okay. So the first question, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? You going to go first or do you want me to? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're on the hot seat, David. Oh, that is, that is such a, such a tough question because like there are, um, <laughs> there are, are so many, um, so many great follows and, you know, I, um, that's so hard. I know, so I know, hard. Yeah, you're, you're going to make one really good friend and a lot of enemies. Who are like, <laughs> why didn't you say me? No, if uh, maybe I'll jump ahead to David here. If if I had to pick like a person, it would probably be like Richard from Manifold. Um, not only like who he is as a person, the value he adds to the space, the insights that he has, but like. The products that they're building at Manifold, I truly believe are are groundbreaking for the ability for independent creators to to produce NFTs. Um, I'll go with that, Richard. And David? Oh, there there are there are so many good ones. So um, I'm just I'm just going to go with one, and this doesn't mean that I'm playing favorites by any means, but I will say. Uh, uh, punk six five two nine. Just because I have learned so much just by reading their threads and and following that account. And uh, like I said, this is not playing favorites. It's just you know you know one of the really great educational resources in the space. And you know I challenge everybody just um, always try and take some time every day to to learn a little bit more about uh, about what's going on in the space. All right. <laughs> Second question. So. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? <laughs> Jeez, these We're are some of the better out. questions. I'm <laughs> like, these are good. Oh, 10 years from now. 10 years from now. So early October 2032. Gosh. Just around the corner. <laughs> Gosh, I, I feel like I shouldn't be making price predictions on... Uh, not financial on advice, not, not financial, financial yeah. advice. And we're talking a decade out, yeah, so, yeah. you know. It's going to be like $2 million or it's still going to be 20K. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Nice. David, okay. your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was thinking like right around that uh, right around that million dollar mark. But I guess the bigger question is uh, how much does that million dollars actually buy you in 2032 dollars? That's, that's where right. the, I think that's where the question really gets people because they immediately are like, okay, well, I can talk about where Bitcoin would be if the dollar stays the same, but where's the dollar? So, yeah. yeah. All factors. right. Third question. What's the most underrated coin or project in all of crypto web three? Other than in the Pixel Vault ecosystem. <laughs> no self chill in here. <laughs> oh, uh, NFTs or crypto? Yeah, yeah, anything. anything. And, and it doesn't have to be like a coin. It can be like a project or like a category such as DeFi. It can be whatever you want. Another great question. I, I, I got I to give you guys credit. These are some <laughs> fantastic questions to close. Like they, they got me going. Oh, this is uh, underrated. Okay, I, I got one. I'll go 
independent creator, one of ones. Hmm. Cool. I like it. I like that. Because like, yeah. I think for most people, uh, again, NFTs are illiquid tokens, you know, like, but um, for most people, I think that their approach to buying a one of one is because they they want it and they love it. And I think that the asymmetric opportunity to bet on independent creators and if it happens to appreciate again, kind of going back to my thesis of the gambling analogy um, or the casino analogy, uh, to me, putting my money to back independent creators enable them to put more of their version of beauty out into the world. And you know that as a bet on that creator to to continue to to produce and appreciate in value. That's a no brainer to me. I think they're they're immensely underrated. I love it. It's like that's a perfect promotion for our one of one OG supporter NFT. <laughs> I'm going to go a very different route here, and I'm going to say it is NFT ticketing, and mm. just because the the combination of like cool generative art in the form of a, of a ticket and basically being able to use a digital wallet to gain access to whether it's an online or an in real life event. You know, we saw, you know, a lot of that with token proof during, you know, NFT NYC where, you know, you're able to safely use your phone to kind of get into these like token gated events without actually having to put your tokens at risk. I think that's like a very underrated area um, of, of where the space is going. And it's going to still take some time to develop and, and, and have it be like very, um, like very well adopted by, uh, you know, by the mainstream population. But I think that's a very underrated area to be focusing on right now. Fun fact, I know somebody that agrees with you. <laughs> it's, it's Gary. It's Gary V. Yeah. and he did it for Vcon. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true, VGF. That was exactly what I was going to say. Is that you know you had mentioned uh, V friends earlier, and that was it was the first Vcon, and it was an NFT was your ticket, and the prices after the event, like like those tickets kept value even because people were like, I want proof that I was at the first ever VCon as well. Those were two great answers to that question that we have not heard before out of all of the episodes. So well done. You guys did a fantastic job walking us through everything Pixel Vault. Thank you so much for joining Alf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.